0: outline point is going to change from what i had written in your bulletin to make godly choices in the midst of an ungodly nation the first thing he tells his people the first thing god would say to us is for us for ourselves for our sakes make godly choices in the midst of an ungodly nation what does he say he says you're in babylon get used to it You're in Babylon now. Settle down there. Don't sit there by the door with your suitcase packed ready for the call that it's time to go back to Jerusalem. Settle in. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens. Did you know that God was into construction and organics? No, this goes a little further than that, doesn't it? He's telling them to settle in. Make a home there. They're going to be there for a while. They should then make choices in how they provide for themselves. They should settle in. They should grow a garden. They should provide their own food. Eat the food that you grow out of that garden is what he says. They should apply themselves to hard work in the midst of society. They should apply themselves to self-sufficiency in the midst of the society. They should give, be content in the setting where God has placed them. Not always grumbling against these poor Babylonians. Could it be that God has sent them to Babylon to preserve their lives? You see, he took his people to Israel. Many hundreds of years earlier, he took his people, Israel rather, to Egypt for the same purpose. In the midst of a famine, they wind up in Egypt and... and God used that, ex- that experience, that time in Egypt, set aside in a secure country to grow this family into a nation. And he tells them here, in this place, in Babylon, it was his assigned place for them for now, and the whole purpose of that is much bigger than our talk this morning. But God has them to settle in, build houses, plant gardens, Live in trust of God's promise instead of forcing your way back against his apparent will. He speaks to them concerning family. Not only houses and gardens, self-sufficiently hard work, contentment, but he speaks to them in terms of family. Find wives, get married. Again, settling down. But devote yourself to the simple and more important things. Find wives. Take wives for yourselves. Now, he's not telling them to take wives from among the Babylonians. He's telling them within the Israelite community to carry on with life as normal. Get married. Oh, and have children. There, the fruit out of marriage is children. Out of of, uh, those children that you then raise up, he says, seek wives for your sons give your daughters in marriage. And then they will have more children. So he's anticipating from the first to the second to the third generation. Just an aside there. me move right over to this end of the room. Notice how he said, find wives for your young men. He, how he says, give your daughters in marriage. That suggests parents' involvement with their adult kids, in this singular biggest decision in your life. Now that presupposes something, doesn't it, parents? That presupposes that the parents along the way have been devoting themselves to that singular most important building block within any society, which is family. That the family relationship is strong and intact so that... You've got something to say and you've earned a hearing When this great decision as to who should I marry? Who does God want me to marry? And one of the places that answer comes from is from godly loving parents who care more about your long-term success and happiness in life than most anybody else does. But parents, we should be giving ourselves then to not only hard work, in building a home, and in managing your field, but in caring for the nurturing not only of your children up to marriage and then even the grandchildren that are coming behind them. So he reminds them, in the midst of this Babylonian nation, you as my people continue to live and nurture and grow your families as God's people. Okay? You see it? Don't be easily carried along and misled and taken away by all of the neat and wonderful things of Babylon. Give give yourself to what's most important. Provide a home for your family. Meet the immediate needs of your family and nurture the growth of your marriage, your children into their marriage, and even the grandchildren. Devote yourself to family. That matters. You want to make a difference in society, it starts right there. Okay? But that could suggest that we could be a bubble. That could suggest that we could isolate ourselves, that we could pull back, that we could say, all right, well, we don't need to worry about society at large. We need to turn inward. We need to focus on us. We need to vote. Our family is going to be about us. We're not going to worry. We're going to isolate ourselves from those people out there that might be bad influence on us. We're going to look after our own and take care of ourselves. Israel was to be a light unto the nations. Israel was to be a light unto the nations. You remember the prophet Jonah? Jonah was the prophet that did not want to go to the nation God sent him to, the nation of Assyria, the city Nineveh. He said, those people? You want me to go tell them? No, God, if if I go and tell them, you're going to end up being merciful to them. And sooner or later, they are going to grow into this this terrible horde that is going to come and invade Israel. I don't want to go and warn them. I don't want to tell them of your mercy. I want you to go ahead and get them. And so Jonah goes the other way. The book of Jonah is not about Jonah. The book of Jonah is about Israel. The book of Jonah is about God's people who were supposed to be a light of God's mercy to the nations. He said, I don't want to go. But did Jonah end up going? Yeah, yeah. Israel as a whole is supposed to be a light unto the nations, and they were not. And yet, look, some of the best and brightest among them, where do they wind up? In Babylon. Babylon is going to get a witness of the faithfulness of the God of Israel, whether they like it or not. Did that, did that matter? Did that make a difference? If you read the book of Daniel, you find out that one of those young men, one of those bright and promising prospects who received in the midst of this exile a full-ride scholarship to the University of Babylon, a young man named Daniel, he ends up being the prime minister of the entire Babylonian empire. Not only that, But Daniel's faith is witnessed by and apparently embraced by the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar himself. You read Daniel chapter 4 and you hear at least a testimony of faith of the great king who is humbled and bows himself before the one most high God, the God of Israel. So by not being in a bubble... Daniel had an impact. Others like him had an impact and were a light to those around them. Never having to shout other people down, just shining as a light in the midst. But it does suggest being involved beyond our bubble. It does suggest being involved more widely than just among ourselves. We don't need to isolate ourselves. We don't need to overly protect ourselves from, we need to strengthen the basics. Build your home. Raise up your family. Nurture your family to the next generation and the one after that. And if you do that well, you will equip that family to be light in the midst of darkness rather than having to hide from it. He says, don't hide from it. Don't put your light under a bushel. That's what Jesus says. We're to make godly choices in the midst of an ungodly society. And as we make godly choices for ourselves in the midst of an ungodly society, we will be light in the midst of darkness, okay? It's always better if you're you're making consistent and godly choices yourself rather than spending your time talking about what everybody else should be doing. We should make godly choices for ourselves in the midst of an ungodly nation. We should also make godly choices for the sake of an ungodly nation. Okay, you see the difference? The initial is for ourselves. It's care for yourselves. Settle in, but live well there. But it's not just about us. It's not just about you. It's also about the people around you. Live well for their sakes. Make good choices for their sake. And making good choices for their sake will also be good for you. That's why he says also seek the good of the city in verse 7. We sing that song. Greater things are yet to come. Greater things are still to be done in this city. Do you believe that? Could that be? Really, that, that, that we would do even greater things than Jesus himself. We would see the eternal transformation of many people right around us by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That the same spirit that, that dragged you kicking and screaming into faith in Christ as your Savior, the same spirit through you and I would engage the lives of people around us, would touch others through us, and they too would by the spirit of the living God come face to face with not only their sin and their guilt and their accountability before God but his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness and his overwhelming love for them that compels them to trust in him to enter his kingdom. Greater things are still to be done in this city and in its prospering, we will also prosper. That's what verse 7 says. Look at verse 7 again. Also, not only increase there yourselves, not only grow as an Israelite community within Babylon, not only that, but also, verse 7, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. That peace and prosperity, we use two words in English to translate that, is for one Hebrew word, shalom. It's that goodness of life, that fullness of life, the real fullness of joy of what life is supposed to be. Pursue that for the city, for the society around you. Now you say, well, I'm not in charge of the society around us. One person wrote recently that we... In a a democracy, in a democratic society, we have the royal privilege of participating in the making and the establishing of the laws which rule our society. That which in a monarchy is given to the king himself, you and I participate in. We have a royal privilege. Somebody drew a comparison from that then to Esther, the queen who was set up as queen to influence the king in what law or decree would be made for the good not only of Israel but for the good of the entire empire. Esther was set there for such a time as this. Could it be that you and I are part of this society for such a time as this? How do we make godly choices for the sake of an ungodly nation? I would suggest that... that um, If how we live in the midst of the nation is how we fulfill our role as light, the choices that we make for the sake of the nation is how we fulfill our role as salt. You are the salt of the earth. Now, salt is used for a couple of things. Salt is used to preserve. It was used as a preserve, a preservative for meat. In the, in, the, in the Old Testament economy you would season it with salt very well I don't understand all the mechanics of it but somehow that would preserve the meat and keep it from spoiling maybe something like beef jerky today I'm not really sure but salt is used as a preservative we can have a preserving influence on the society around us by our participation in it and as we have that preserving influence it will not only be good for people around us it will be good for ourselves as well One of the things that we consider when we're looking at the issues around us is what will be the impact of this issue on the next generation in our society, the next generation in our country? What are the issues at play here? How might they even affect the rest of the world in terms of of foreign policy and dynamics internationally? And how will that relate to the advance of the gospel? How will that relate to how our society is used or continue to be used worldwide as the advance of the gospel, which I'm convinced is God's biggest purpose? The choices that we make, salt in the midst of the city, both as preservative, as an influence, and also, as I pointed out, salt can create thirst. How can we, by participating in society, create thirst? thirst for those around us well being salt participating in that royal privilege it means voting are you registered to vote if you didn't fill out one of those mail-in things or online things guess what the good news is it's too late it'll let will let you off the hook though you can actually go down to the what office is it Oh, it's on my ballot here. You could go down to the Clark County Auditor's Office and you can still register in person at least to the day before the election. I'm not sure about election day itself, but bring your ID and you can still register if you're not or if, you're, if, if your registration's lapsed. As participants in the midst of society we should vote. We should be informed. That means we, if we're going to vote it's not a matter of just eeny miny, miny, miny mo down the ballot I will go. It's being informed, taking the time to read and determine, to listen, if nothing else from the voter's guide itself, the statements that different people or people on different sides of issues have put in, make a decision, informed decision, about the issues as well as the personalities that will be our leaders. Being a voter, but being an informed voter. Being salt means Discussing but discussing in an informed in a rational way with people around us to the extent that they're interested. Now, I'm cautious about talking politics. I'm cautious about talking politics with people, especially when they know that I'm a pastor or a Christian. Sometimes I'll hide the whole Christianity thing just so I can get in a good political argument. No, no, not really. But I'm cautious about politics because I don't want my political views which are informed to a point, I don't want that to overshadow. I don't want what I don't understand about issues that are bigger than my knowledge of them, I don't want that to overshadow the issues that I do believe matter much more and that I can be very certain about. A wise man told me years ago, don't add any other offense to the offense of the cross. So I'm cautious about what I will discuss politically and how I go about it. How certain and sure I am of things that I don't know all the information to be certain and sure about. There are some things that I can be certain that I can be, be sure about. Those are the things concerning God's word. The things that God has clearly revealed to me. And I don't want to put political views, for instance, on the same level as that. So be cautious as you discuss in the midst of broader society. When you vote, when you're making your choices, don't vote based on your benefit. The, law, the, the statement is long held true. It's the economy. Everybody's voting their pocketbook, but we shouldn't be voting our own pocketbook. Somebody said that American democracy will fail when... The elected leadership realizes that they can buy the people's votes with their own money. Don't vote your own benefit. Don't vote your own entitlement. Don't vote your own tax break. Look at the bigger picture. How will this benefit or cost our society as a whole? It's not about me. It's about us. It's about we we dare not limit it to, well, I'm going to go this way or that way because that's going to have the immediate benefit to me. It's not all about me. If we want to seek the prosperity of the city around the society as a whole, we have to think much bigger. What will really be good for society as a whole? G- G- Galatians chapter 6, verse 10 tells us that we, as we have opportunity, do good unto all people especially to those of the household of faith, especially to those of God's family, but do good to all people. Seek the peace of the city you find yourselves in. Okay, let's talk a few particular issues. Again, I'm going to be cautious here. There's a lot that I don't know. But I, I, I want to just explore a couple of these issues on some of the things that certainly should be part of the consideration. Issues that are on our ballot, our, our, our ballot when I open my envelope, I'm going to see them there. For for one, there's the question of should marriage be redefined? Should marriage be redefined beyond traditional marriage of one man to one woman? That's an issue that's going to be on your ballot when you open it. Maybe you've already seen it. Maybe you've already ticked things off, made your decisions. But what's the issue there? We We are considering doing something as a state. It's been done other places in our nation that no society has officially recognized before. Redefining marriage that contradicts how it's been established from creation until now. Not to say that there hasn't been same-sex attraction, there hasn't been been, uh, same-sex relationships, homosexually practiced many places through history, but never formally recognized in that way. Never equated that this as just as valid and just as acceptable and part of our normal society as this. That has never been done before. What will it mean? What will be the impact on? Well, you go back just a verse in Jeremiah 29, and we're reminded of the importance of nurturing the next generation and the complementary role of mother and father in raising up that next generation. And if we're going to say, well, this is the way it's supposed to be because we stand for marriage as it's supposed to be, as God intended it to be, do we really? Are we standing for marriage as it's supposed to be, or are we standing against somebody else's lifestyle? You see the difference? One one position easily defines us as haters, easily defines us as just being against people, And guess what? People who are convinced that you're against them stop listening to you. Can we articulate why marriage as it has been is the way it's supposed to be, is the way it needs to be? Not because I want it that way, not because my Bible says it's supposed to be that way when they don't read the Bible nor care what it says. Especially if it seems to be contradicting directly the way they feel. We make our decisions based on what we feel, by the way, not what we know. So then, can we articulate? Can we even get down to the feel level? Of why marriage as it is and why for the sake of children needing that complementary relationship and if that's so will we demonstrate will we live there will we work it out will we work for marriages to succeed and where marriage has success, has, has not succeeded will we come near to people and will we help them to pick up the pieces to rebuild or to put back together or to come alongside into a broken family and add in what is now missing if we're convinced that marriage and parenting is the core issue here will that be for us will we join in there let me give you another one just a principle hard work and self-sufficiently build your houses plant your gardens eat what you grow don't steal it from your neighbor which, which issues at play, which people that we're going to vote for are supporting that self-sufficiently, su- self-sufficiency, that accountability, the personal responsibility and consequences for action. Much of what we try to do as a society today, much of what we try to do is based on avoiding the consequences of poor decisions. And we're sorry that people made those decisions, but gee, you know, we need to try to to, um, uh, soften those consequences as much as possible, which doesn't help society at large stop making poor decisions. Sometimes consequences like time in Babylon are required. You know, Israel had a tremendous problem with idolatry before they went to Babylon. Afterwards, they continued to have problems trusting God, but they never had problems trusting in idols again. They had enough of it in Babylon to be sick of it from then on. God used that experience to deal directly with Israel's biggest hang-up at the time, which was their idolatry. We shouldn't always be seeking to shield people from the consequences of poor decisions. We easily let government take the place of family. We let government take the place, government, uh, good programs and p- things that help people take the place of things that maybe God's people should be doing. You know, in the first century, the church was noted, and, the, and, uh, and there is a correspondence you can pick up in the first and second century, intercepted correspondence from, from one, of the, one of the regional rulers to the emperor, trying to figure out what to do with these Christians, because, you know, they don't worship the emperor. They're not with us at all Yet. They take such good care of one another. They are so merciful. They are so charitable. They give to those in need. They they feed the hungry. They take care of widows. And they do all of these things. Things that we expect the government to do instead. A government that doesn't have the same understanding of grace and mercy that the church ought to. And we have perhaps given over to the rulers of our society, things that needs that the church should actually be meeting instead that ought to come out of the mercy God has shown us. Let me give you another one that's actually on the ballot this year. I was surprised, and that's should marijuana usage be legalized? Not just, not just medical marijuana. Now, the only thing I'm going to talk about this one is the tactic. It'll be good because if we legalize marijuana, we can tax it. And the taxes will be good for who? Who? it'll be good for the schools. You boil it down and we're gonna smoke dough because it's for the children. <laughs> Does anybody really believe that? Why is it that when you have a shady proposition put before society, they always try to slip it past by saying, but the taxes are going to go to the schools. And who wants to be against the children? What if we could take the children out of the equation just for a minute? What if we could, if if this is a good thing for society, well, let's forget about the taxes and let's just decide, should we legalize drugs or not? Forget about making tax money off them. Casinos, the same way. Forget about the tax benefit to the government. Let's just say, instead of being bribed into it, by tax income, let's just say, is this good for society or not? And make our decisions there. That's, that goes a lot farther than just one particular issue. We ought to decide a lot of issues that way. By the merit of them, not the benefit from them. One more. Columbia River Crossing. I could probably get all kinds of people talking about the Columbia River Crossing. I'm going to say this. Why aren't we having as much energy put into how to develop jobs on this side of the river? Because if we did, how many families would shave at least a 50-minute off their commute each way? And if they did, that 30 minutes a day that's stuck in traffic time, at least 30 minutes a day, that could be family time. I don't mean family guy time. But actual family time, if you run the math on that, that's a whole year of full weekends with a kid added on to the 18 years that you have typically with your child at home. Could that, if we use the time for that way, could that matter more if the energy was put into jobs closer in the community rather than exporting people to work farther away from home, that they had the opportunity if family is important? What I'm suggesting is this. How might we think differently, bigger, and about core family issues about those questions that are put before us on a ballot? Now, there's one other way that we get involved with society around us. I'm actually meant to touch back on this earlier. I got a flyer in my, in my um, mailbox, and it said, meet Eileen Kutub. I said, wait, wait. I know Eileen Kattab. One of the ways that we make godly choices for the sake of an ungodly government, I talked about voting, I talked about discussing another way is to participate in government. We have somebody within our congregation who is participating in government. Has done that in the past, is on the ballot again. And I, I wanted Eileen just to come and briefly describe why. Why would you do that to yourself? Why would you... Why would you get involved in this mess called government?
1: Thank you, Pastor Bob. Um, and thank you for letting me address the congregation just for a moment. But first I want to say amen, brother, to what you've been saying. It's a very good message. Um, again, I, I am running for the State Senate. And... Um, I'm running because I feel called by God. I felt called when I served in the Oregon legislature and I continue to feel call, called by him now. And this is an act of obedience for me. Um, I see in, in scripture that we have been given a structure by God for representative a representative form of government. I read in Romans that we are supposed to be um, give, uh, obey the authorities in government but it also says there that God is the one that places people in authority he is the great authority but he places people in authority and I am running because I have biblical values and I want to glorify God by those things and as Pastor Bob has said is we want to benefit all of the people in the city and I would like to do that too I know as I served um, in the legislature in Oregon, I saw things as I served as if I was in the book of Acts. And I just, um, it's just thrilling to see God work through people. Some have said that this race, and this race in particular, is kind of an impossible uh, quest. But I just read in scripture this morning that with God, all things are possible. So I I look at it that way, with God all things are possible. And the one thing that I also would like to say is I have many prayer partners here in the church. I've had people support me in various ways, whether it's through coffees, their prayer, or financial support. And I just want to thank you for that support. And God tells us that what he really requires of us is to fear him, to do justly, to love kindly and to walk humbly before our God. That is what I would like to do. Thank
0: you. All right, so there's Daniel, and there's Eileen. And if God wills to put her in this place or that, that's one more way that we make godly choices in the midst of the society that God has placed us in. There's one more thing that we're told here to do in verse 7, and that is to pray. As you seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you, pray to the Lord for it. Pray to the Lord for it. We're told in 1 Timothy chapter 2 to pray for our leaders, to pray for our rulers, to pray for those in government positions for the sake of all men and so that we might live a peaceful life, that we might have openings for the gospel because God desires that all would be saved. So we pray for our leaders, we pray for our society, we pray in, for them toward an end that God's gospel will go forward, you know? I don't believe that if... I, 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 when I talk politics, I, I, I speak with this condition. I don't believe that if I opened the paper on the morning after the election, and I found out that every single candidate I voted for won. Have you had that happen in no and every issue that I chose they all came through yes global warming would end the waters would recede and we would teach the world to sing in perfect harmony I don't believe it but I do believe that one day in the future Around the throne, before the Lamb, the redeemed will sing in perfect harmony. Praises to the living God. And while I'm here in the midst of this society where God has placed us, I want to use the influence that I have, the salt I can be, the light that I can be toward that rescue of people around me. That for God's glory. Would you